Before we get rolling into today's podcast, I want to tell you about our awesome sponsors that uh, keep this thing free for you guys. So first we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there. Check it out. Uh, You can get signed up for uh, Traded Hunts where you put in your location, the kind of birds you're after, you know, the type of things that you do. And uh, you can search around on there, see other people, their areas, what they go after, and you can talk with each other and get linked up and trade hunts with each other. So rather than hiring an outfitter or a guide, if you're on a budget or kind of want to do a little bit of a DIY thing, you can get linked up with some people, go hunt their area, they come out and hunt in your area. It's a really cool thing. Also on there, there's some forums, you know, duck hunting, waterfowl hunting in general, different tips and advice, things like that. And they also have a lot of merchandise, really cool stuff. And in their merchandise, they have the Salty Fowl line of clothing, where 100% of the profits from that go to uh, Eider Research out there on the coast. So really cool cause. Go check it out. Go buy some stuff. Get on some trade hunts. You definitely won't regret it. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano. He's up there in northeast Kansas, and he uh, specializes in waterfowl, turkey, and deer. You can check him out on Instagram at Steady Wing Outfitters. Uh, and if you want to book a hunt, you can give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. They're over there in North Dakota. They're making a bunch of awesome hunting and fishing content. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places. Go check them out for some high-quality stuff. They also have a website with some merchandise and other things on it. Uh, The website is 701pursuit.com. That's the numbers, 701pursuit.com. So check them out, all the places that you have social media. They're on there somewhere. Next, we have Bulldog Baits. It's over there in western Oklahoma. Uh, They're making crankbaits, jigs, soft plastic, spoons, jig heads, sinkers, anything you need for fishing. They've got it. So you can check them out on uh, Instagram. It's bulldog underscore baits. And if you want to go on their website to order some stuff, it's bulldog-baits.square.site. So if you're needing anything, definitely, definitely go check them out. Also, on the same note, we have Stump Thumper Baits. Their website is stumpthumperbaits.com. They also have soft plastics, jigs, all that type of stuff. Want to check them out too on Instagram. Their handle is at stumpthumperbaits. They're also Facebook, anywhere else. Now we have Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's over in the San Antonio area. Uh, he's hunting ducks, geese, anything waterfowl you guys want to get on over there down in Texas. You can give him a call at 361-494-7868. You can also find him on Facebook. Uh, his name is just Waylon Johnson. See what he's been up to. Check out the cool birds down there. All that good stuff. And lastly, we have my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. I specialize in retrievers, but I train all sorts, basic obedience, force fetch, waterfowl upland, anything you're looking to get done with your dog, I can help you out with. Um, You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all the normal places. It's H-I-L-I-N-E, retrievers. And then if you're looking for some advice or looking to uh, get set up with some training, give me a call. My number is 406 783-7083. Thanks a lot. Thanks to our sponsors. Go check them all out and enjoy the show. 
covey took wing shotguns singing a pointing dog down in the old logging road and then he got three and looked back grinning I fumbled around and I tried to reload the country was all right welcome to the woods and water podcast this is Garrett today I have Trevor Austin from Pacific calls on uh I guess for the people that don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Trevor Austin. I am uh, one of the owners of Pacific Calls based out of Post Falls, uh, Idaho. I'm so used to saying Washington because since we started the company in 2011, uh, we were based out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, but we recently moved over to Post Falls, Idaho. So we make uh, duck calls, goose calls, turkey calls. Um, we also manufacture for, for other call companies in the industry as well. Cool. So, um were you in the uh, new shop last time we talked, or were you getting ready to move? I don't uh, remember. No, no, I was down at the lower unit, so we were down. That was kind of like our storage dungeon area. Pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, pretty dark room, full of uh, just dust and and wood, pretty much, and some hunting gear. So no, we're in the new shop now. It's kind of messy. Uh, that's my desk. I'm at Zach's desk right now, but him and I share. Uh, the, the tuning room, which kind of wraps around this corner and we have all of our inventory, uh, in these containers right here on my, uh, on my left, but, um, everything that comes into this room is all uh, finished up and then Zach and I just tune and ship out. So you guys like the new place so far? Oh my God. Yeah. A lot better. Yeah. If anybody, uh, yeah, I wish you could have seen it from the i mean stage one stage two i'll call the last one we were at, at was stage three and we pretty much had everything that we have out in all in our entire building right now in uh, about half size so excuse me we are able to stretch our wings and and not be elbow to elbow and butt to butt and i mean it was so uncomfortable to have people come to the shop because of how noisy it was, how everyone's working around you. You're always in someone's way. Uh, this one, people can come in. We got a big showroom right when you first walk into the building. Uh, it's about a 500-foot showroom, give or take. Uh, you'll be able to get yourself a cold one, whiskey, you know, water, whatever you'd like to drink. And then we have product uh, down one side of the room that you'll be able to you know, try out and see what colors we produce. And um, we'll have a waterfowl section and then a turkey section as well. Um, and then we also have a very, very, uh, really shitty podcast that we do, um, here at our shop, but it's kind of just something for, for people to, to stay in touch with us and, um, see what's going on with the shop. So we have our little podcast table right there and that's where everyone eats lunch pretty much. That's <laughs> what that's really used for. <laughs> yeah. Spill a Mountain Dew on all the podcast equipment and get fired. You know, yeah, yeah, we uh, we have to put it away. We have some kids that do come to the shop uh, quite a bit, so they got to have a place, you know, to ram their cars in color and, oh, yeah. and do all that. So we try to stay tidy for them, and, uh, you know, it's a good little spot for the kids. So, so it works out. You know, it's family business. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's this one, too. As soon as I get done recording, I got to put everything away because then I go to work all day, and kids come down in the basement and. They want to try to Start record drawing. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw yeah, in the toilet. 911. <laughs> I understand how that works now. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Is that showroom just kind of like a show up thing or you, you guys set up appointments for yeah. people to come through or what? Uh, no, we just, um, we don't really advertise as a retail store uh, due to city uh, coordinates. So uh, 
we are in manufacturing, but we are open, you know, pretty much seven to four, Monday through Friday, weekends, once in a while. You can call, you can, you know, schedule an appointment if you'd like, if it's going to be after hours, but doors always open. Anyone can swing on in. Um, so 7 a.m., we'll come get a whiskey signs. and blow some goose calls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, whatever you're into, you know, grab a whiskey. You got some Pendleton. Uh, there's some other vodka. There's some tequila. So whatever you're into, we have a kegerator as well. So if you're just into the beers, then you can stick with the beers. Heck, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. How it's far into nice, Idaho? Is I'm it, excited. I've never been over there. Is that in the panhandle or are you like in the big old yep. knuckle? Yeah. Okay. No, we're in the Panhandle. So you got uh, Spokane, and then ten miles to the east is Post Falls. Okay, so it really wasn't too big of a gap yeah. for you. No, no, my drive went from two minutes uh, to twenty-one minutes. So I'm I'm the only one that kind of is getting screwed over on the new the new drive. Well, <laughs> it's was, still not that bad. I was thinking tax wise, I'd move to Idaho over uh, Spokane. Oh over there. yeah. You know, Taxes and it just depends though. Like you're you're gonna get tax on your income, or you know you're gonna pay for how much the uh, cost of living is over here compared to Spokane now. So true. Uh, I've been selling real estate for about eight years, and if you wanted to buy cheap, you went to Idaho. If you wanted to, you know, you know, pay expensive prices, you were, you know, in Spokane. Now it's flip flop. So the average house price is probably a couple hundred thousand more than Spokane's, and so it just depends on you know what your monthly is. Yeah, I suppose it's probably the richer people in Spokane probably just move over to Idaho and do that drive over to work in Spokane or whatever. Yeah, Pop some do. Over. I mean, it depends on, on their income. And, um, you know, I mean, they both have awesome lakes. Both have, you know, a nice river that runs through. It just kind of depends on what you want for politics and uh, tax. It's pretty much the same city. <laughs> hmm. Gross. You guys keep all that. Oh, yeah. You guys keep all that stuff. Yeah, right it's not as bad. I grew up in Seattle, bro. That that was fucking bad. <laughs> that was bad. I mean, where I grew up was pretty was was nice. I mean, I was a suburb out, outside of Seattle, so it wasn't as uh, as Seattle like. But uh, Spokane's a whole lot slower. That's for damn sure. How was it uh, hunting around Seattle growing up? Or did you guys get out of the area to go hunting? Uh, you know, I hunted probably on the west side maybe ten times growing up. My dad was a guide over south of Tri Cities. Uh, when I was born, and that lasted till I was seven or so, and then that guide service turned into a club, and uh, we just stayed in that area until I was fourteen. And then we started hunting up in Tri Cities. I graduated high school, and everything shifted to Moses Lake. Okay. So I just kept going north. Yeah, yeah. Get away yeah. from the people. Further yeah. north you get, I suppose. Yeah, it's just you know what what life threw at me. Um, you know, what brought us to, to the Tri-Cities was my dad having issues with the politics of the club. And so we left and went to a different one. And then the Moses Lake was met uh, Austin Sandman, who I guide for. And he, you know, open arms. He let me come in and hunt with him and his buddies. And then we started guiding and, you know, the rest is history. But we do quite a bit of hunting in the Spokane area. It's a little bit slower than the central flyway of our state in the basin. Um but, you know, it's pretty damn good hunting in, in this area. You just like any place, you got to be on top of it. Yeah. How did your guys' season end up? Uh, last time we talked, you were kind of in the tail end of it. But you guys going any, anywhere crazy to close out the year or do anything cool? Oh, man. What did we do? That's a good problem. I'm trying, to, re half. I'm trying to remember. I know. I know. Well, turkey hunting was, I swear, turkey hunting ran me sideways. But 
I think we finished up around here. It, it got pretty damn cold and a lot of shit was locking up. We snow shoveled a couple boat launches, hunted the river, um, tried to stay local for the most part. Uh, oh, me and my good buddy, we went down to Patterson, uh, right on the, the Washington, Oregon border and hunted the big, the big water, um, met up some locals down there. Uh, they were kindly enough. Uh, they allowed us to come and jump in with them on, on one river shoot. Super cool. I grew up hunting just not too far from it and always wondered what it was like to keep hunting that section. So I was able to fill that, um, threw my dad's ashes into the river where I grew up duck hunting with him. So that was kind of, you know, sentimental, but also it was cool to go back to that original blind that him and I used to hunt. And then, um, shit, I think we ended it just, uh, in the Spokane area, I believe. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I can't, you know, it's now that's a little far away. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Had a turkey season in between to mess with you. Did you, oh uh, yeah, that will, that will do it. Do you uh, go east at all to chase any snows around this spring or do you just stick with turkeys? No, no, it's so hard. You know, I, I love snow goose hunting, but going east and going south, I don't think I'm really, uh, I'm going to jump on it too, too often. Uh, going up to Alberta is kind of more my thing uh, for the spring snows. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. It, it, chasing them up there is just different. It's a different animal. And so it's, it's kind of uh kind of nice to chase snow geese up there rather than doing this grind session down here and you know washington state has it kind of screwed up on our season because our start uh the adults they always follow the snow line and so we always just we're chasing adults and there's only like maybe 15 20 000 in our area and uh so it's kind of hard to chase that you know there's a lot of good guides out there chasing there's some yoko locals chasing um you know everyone's got a pretty decent spread so not a lot of opportunity for, I'd say, Washington Eastern or East uh, or spring, spring snows. But, uh, you know, Missouri, Arkansas, I just we I haven't done it for a couple of years, but that's a that's a grind going down there. Yeah, those boys can keep that, especially those guys that start in Arkansas and follow them north and they just grind it out for like two or three months straight. I don't know how they can do that. It looks miserable. Bro, I mean, the, the guys that start, you know, in September one up, up north, follow them all the way down hang out, stay down and then come all the way back up. And they're done now in June. It seems like you yeah. literally have like th two months off. Well, from the videos I've seen, some of them got a couple uppers they might use here and there to uh, keep themselves rolling through it. Oh, yeah. I think you got to have something to keep on going. That's for sure. Yeah. That's a fucking rough game. That's a young man's sport right there. Yeah. The uh, sleeping in trailers and trucks are just laying out in the mud sleeping it ain't my thing anymore. Sleep. When I was a kid, yeah. it was something, but even anymore, not my thing yeah. anymore. I'll, I'll get a nice hotel room and uh, do an extended weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. You kind of get to the point where, like, I love chasing these things, but my God, sleep's kind of nice. Well, when I was a little bit younger, like in college and stuff, it was just actually to go out and kill them. Now it's just kind of like a little <laughs> spring vacation for me before we get into seeding season. So I'm more worried about hotel that's got a, either a nice bar in it or close to one so we can hang out yeah, maybe go out yeah. shoot a handful i'm not as concerned about killing them as i used to be now are you guys going in eastern montana in that spring is there a spring season in eastern montana yep yeah but we go over into north dakota i uh i went to college in north dakota oh, okay. so i got friends and i got family nice. down there so we just you know kind of hit the hot spots get a hotel room in the bigger towns there's only so many of them so 
right? Is there a lot of people that chase them in the springtime in, in North Dakota? Oh, yeah. Yeah. North Dakota, South yeah. Dakota, they – well, all the locals, obviously, and then there's a lot of yeah. guide services that come up. And, yeah, you just kind of – as long as you stay out on the uh, side roads and stuff, it's pretty good because yeah. it's the people that just run the interstates. They'll see the feeds off the interstates, and those just get hammered. But we know enough gravel and old highways and things like that that we get out into the boonies and – it's, you're fighting Final a lot pockets. less people. Yeah, you get pockets, and you're mm-hmm. it's a lot less people out there because the pockets are a little bit further apart. But when you find them, they're usually fairly good. I noticed that because we do early goose in North Dakota, so I kind of learned the same lesson as far as the local population goes and trying to stay out of the the major regions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That early season anymore too. That's that's my uh, when I started goose hunting. I was in college. And my first goose hunt was an early season. It was like 105 degrees, hotter and shit. And it was an evening hunt, so it was real hot. And we had, we laid out there all day, and as the sun was going down, like the, there was just like one flock of like three flew by at like 60 yards, and we honked and honked at them, and they didn't even look at us and went by. And I'd say, this is goose hunting. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and then we went out like the next weekend or something and did a morning hunt with a group of other guys, and it was early season, so it was 15 bird limits a man. Mm-hmm. And... uh we had a little like a uh, slough and it was bean field. Like it was like a little, it was bean field with this little slough in it. And the geese were in that slough and then they'd walk out into the bean field, eat all the beans and they'd fly off to like a little loaf pond and come back. And the farmer asked us to go in there and shoot them. So when they went off to the loaf pond or wherever they went, like mid morning, we ran in there and put out a bunch of decoys in the water, put out our blinds, doubled in just a little bit. And they came back in groups and twos and threes. And we got, I think it was like three or four guys limits. 15 birds a pop. Nice. And that, yeah. that kind of hooked me in my second. One. I was like, there okay, that's, that's why we do it. The first one sucked. Second one made up for it. For sure. <laughs> then I've been chasing that ever man, since. That, yeah. That early goose, man, that can be, that can be the hardest goose hunting you'll ever go through. I swear, you know, they're just so stuck on their parents and what is uh pulling those, that young to that right spot. And if you're not on that right spot, I don't care who you are. It's a hard one. Well, and then fighting that heat and the bugs and the humidity, especially the mosquitoes. Yeah. Mosquitoes oh my God, and yeah. biting flies, too. If you get in certain areas, it's just heavy with biting flies. Nothing worse than that. But. I remember looking up and it was pretty windy. So we kind of set up in front of this hay bale and used the hay bale as a break for us in the wind. And I looked up and I could hear it sound like a jet, but it was a ball that was probably five feet wide by five feet. And it was it was just a ball of fucking mosquitoes. And they're just hovering there. I'm like, this is disgusting. I, like yeah. that, it sound it literally sound like a jet. We had uh, one. Um, we had one where there's a bunch of gnats, like like balls and gnats. You know what I mean? Those little yeah. no seeing ones, but they'd be like in a big ball, just like that, like mosquitoes. And they were like hovering over each one's blind, and um, each one of us guys. This is a different hunt. Anyways, my cousin sat up the one time and he didn't realize it was right in front of him and sat his face right into mm. it, like right, breathing in, breathing in a bunch of them. And they said, <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> like gagging and throwing up right up, big old face full of them. I was laughing so hard. That was another shit day that we didn't yeah, get anything, just got hot and covered in bugs. Man, you got like an hour to burn if you don't. That's a hard morning. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a hard morning. So that's something that really the last, I didn't really get to go out last year, but the year before. On the hard mornings thing, do you guys still get up just early as shit and uh, set up a spread and then try to get them at first light? Or are your birds doing that still? Because ours, I may as well just wait until sun comes up, tootle my way out there, 
and get set up because by the time I do all that, then they're finally flying. Like we're like nine, ten o'clock now. It seems like birds are flying. Is that something you guys see over there too? You know, it's been a couple of years since I've been able to make early goose. Uh, I was doing it consistent for about five, six years, and then whatever life came in, I wasn't able to do it for the last couple of years. But uh, but no, I'd say it was more you know right out light as when we were pounding ours. There was one hunt that it did take them a little bit for them to come up. I don't know if they, you know, got the roost and went to another little feeding spot. And then they got out of that feeding section uh, and then came back over to us. But, you know, everything is, everything affects those birds from uh, the farmers are just all, you guys are always cutting. So you never know, you know, like that barley field next to you, it certainly gets cut that morning. Like they're going to be heading over to there uh, that day. And so you could be sitting up and just waiting for your birds and you see the farmer out there ripping his ground and you're like, oh shit those birds are going to see that and go right to that. So, I mean, that sometimes affects the timing of these birds that come out to us, but I would say majority of the time uh, it's going to be right at light, especially here in Washington is what we see for our early use. So now I need you to use all your bird knowledge to explain to me how they know when a field is cut that morning or the evening before. It's like they get off the roost and they just know they go like a magnet right to them. Man, I think it's like anything, right? They're, uh, you see something so many times and, and all these young are following these parents. Well, these parents are at least probably three years old. So they probably have seen the same rotation, the same, you know, farming equipment coming out into these sloughs, into these certain areas. They're like, oh, that's fresh cut because that guy's ripping the ground. There's a bunch of dust. So I think it's all visual. I think they're just used of seeing farmers because when they, when they start migrating, it's the same thing. They're going to start going to that next crop, you know, uh, everyone farms at different times of the year. So over, over the time, they just get used to when the humans coming out there and interacting with that food and putting that food on the ground. I just thought they were magic, just like they know how to go right where they were born at every year. That's what we always think. There was one guy I thought that they could, uh, the geese could smell the fresh cut and I, I kind of laughed and, but I don't know. Some days that you Nick never Jay? know what, what these geese, no, no, that's some, other old bastard here in Washington. Call Nick old but some Nick other. Might, I don't know. I could have swore I heard him saying that on a podcast at some point. He thinks that they can smell him or something. Might have been someone else, but just, I thought it was him. I think I think he was just eating the poop too much that day, so <laughs> who knows? Who knows what that guy I mean that guy's one of the smartest goose goose nerds I've ever met. A bird nerd uh-huh. I've ever met in my life. But uh yeah, I I think it's all visual. Did you um hear those uh back to back episodes I did with uh him and uh joe heinz uh i listened to the the first one i listened to the first one with with you nick and joe yeah and how was i mean how was that working those two like working i just did a podcast with those two over in bozeman and those guys don't shut up no 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 whenever whenever, (laughs) so i've never done them both at the same time but this last time i had joe came on and he did he talked for like two hours which i love makes my job easy but uh we uh talked about Nick's obsession with hating flags and he yeah. gave his whole spiel on it. So then I texted Nick yep. and told him what Joe had said. So then he came on the next episode to give his side of the story. So we got a back to back on why flags are good and why flags are bad. Yeah. Those, uh, I don't know, man. He's tried to convince me and I still don't believe him. I, I don't. He I gave don't some follow. good points, there's, but I, he does, he does have good points and there's, you know, there's things and I think they get used to seeing the same thing as far as like a decoy spread or a sound. And then the flag is, you know, over years, it's just like these parents, they start realizing what, you know, what, what 
you know, object is what. And so how we utilize a, a tool, they kind of get used to something like that. And, and I don't know, man, I grew up, my dad would make me run through the decoy spread, throw silhouettes up just to change the flyway. And I've seen it work. And I also saw myself just running in the middle of the decoy spread just to wear out my energy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it just depends on the day. Well, just like you're saying, they get used to seeing things. How many you and Jay full body spreads of not moving geese had they seen? And then all of a sudden silhouettes became hot again. It was something new where they saw like little flashes of movement or whatever. And they were decoying again. It's the same spreads. It's just yeah. a different decoy. So. Yeah. Uh, just, just being different. You know, I, that's what I always try to, to do utilize uh, where I hunt in the, in the basin area. Cause we have a lot of competition and a lot of guys that know what they're doing and not, you can't always put up the same 80 decoys like we're all doing. So either you're, you know, throwing a small spread, a really, really big spread or silhouettes or whatever it may be, you know, just trying to be different. So, yeah. Yeah. When we started out, we were always kind of, well, we had decoys, so we were going to set the decoys. We paid for them. So we go like to feel that, you know, had a hundred geese on it and we'd be setting out like 120 decoys and uh, we weren't really matching what we were seeing in the field that was a learning curve once we got that figured out was better and then from there i started going to uh less and less decoys up to a point like if it was like a giant feed i wasn't just putting out five decoys but at the same time i wasn't setting out the whole spread like we used to and i'd I'd get down to the point where we'd be doing like two dozen decoys for a field of 100 or so and it kind of seemed like if you had all your decoys out there like if there's 100 birds and you put 100 decoys out there they kind of would like fly over it so i'd try to I was trying to get as small as I could with it still looking like it. In my head, it was, oh, everybody's a little bit late today. And, you know, field's mm-hmm. open. Here we go. And, and then changing up from that stupid U and J. Every single spread was a U or a J. Every <laughs> single time. Yeah. Making yeah. it to blobs and yeah. stuff, kind of. Yeah, that changed things a lot. Yeah. You know, if, you really, if you're able to, it, it's, it's kind of nice when you get a drone out there and you can, really, you can really test out what your spread looks like, even though if you try to stay away from the J, and or try to stay away from like an uh, equal sign or an X or whatever, you know, the basic, the basic uh, letters or symbols that you're going to be using. Uh, It's kind of nice using that drone so you can really see how your appearance looks when they're actually on top of you from, from bird's eye rather than, you know, being on ground. And I think that helps out my hunting quite a bit, especially with the hide. I really like using, uh, using like a drone just to see how we do look from the top because you never look as good as what you think you do. So you know, most time you look pretty shitty uh, after you're done all setting up and one guy's on the blinds and it's not good at, at decking them out. But, um, you know, I think every day you have your you have your big spreads, your small spreads. I tend to throw the kitchen is what I call it. I like putting big spreads out. I like kind of having the, the aggressive feel. I like chasing lessers. Um, That's and so I've always too. just been We're used to throwing bigs. out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, in the Moses Lake area, we do have bigs, we do have littles, we have, you know, small, we got cacklers, we have lessers, we have graders. And so you try to mimic a little bit, but a lot of our birds co-mingle. And uh, I just always find my, uh, my ability of, of using a bigger spread has always kind of been a little bit more fun, energetic, and uh, I don't know, kind of just thing that I grew up doing. And you probably hunt with a bunch of feel- guys so you can make them set out the spread too. Man, not at all. I mean, yeah, I do. I do hunt like a lot, of, but I mean, most of the time I'm guiding and, uh, you know, I've got middle age to, to older age and, um, the way that my decoy spread gets set out, cause I use stuffers quite a bit. And so I have a pretty, uh, strategic way of putting my decoys out and how it's handled from the touch of them from the trailer and 
out to me in the field. Uh, it goes pretty smooth, but it's generally just kind of like a line of people that come out to me and I place them out there. Um, okay. instead of just being like, Hey, 30 dozen silhouettes go. Yeah, I think that I think we brought that up last time. Cause I said, how do you handle those things? Especially when you're guiding, like how do you trust people to, uh, do that? Cause they're not cheap or, and they're labor, labor intensive to make. Did you say you make your own yeah. or do you give them to a guy to do it? No, I got a buddy that helps me out with them. Um, I tried once upon a time and I did like seven and had one look really good. And then, uh, some crackhead broke into my trailer and stole all seven. What did he, he was do probably thinking, fuck, I probably thought they were super nice taxidermy, but little did he know they were shitty geese from, from me. And, uh, so, you know, after that, I just realized, you know, I'm not a taxidermist. This isn't my gig. I need a, some, a professional to do it if I want to do this. And, and so I found uh, one of my friends was able to help me out and teach me some things. And I was kind of able just to help him help me. So, um, you know, you got you got to be smart with it. You got to be super careful. Um, if you have, you know, I generally my parties are five, you know, five or more. And so, you know, six of us ish putting decoys out. It only takes about an hour to really throw out about 160 of these things as long as you carry them right. And everyone's in the same fluid motion because I'll have one guy in the trailer you'll be grabbing them. You always grab them by the feet or the base. And then you hand two to a person and then that two will walk it out to me and I'll place them out in the field and we'll just make our spread throughout. And then, um, once we kind of make our way from left to right, then I'll go back and start filtering in. Um, and so it, it's, it's a pretty smooth process how we've, uh, kind of figure out how to handle these stuffers. How many seasons did you say they make it? Um, I've got, uh, three different models right now. So I've got my first gen, second gen, third gen, I'm only third gens right now. Um, the gens are, are different bases and, uh, switching over from one of my buddies to another buddy that's helped me out. And I got, some of them are, you know, three seasons, another couple sets are probably four seasons. And then the rest are all newer as to one season so far. So as long as you keep so. them dry and handle them right though, they'll last for a while. Yeah, people, you just can't grab them by the neck. You can't shoot them. You know, you just, and driving in fields is what really fucks your day up. Is if you drive through a field fast, they'll just sit there and wobble, and those necks will start getting weak and they'll start breaking. And then the skin, everything in the, in the uh, back starts ripping as well. And game's over on that one. So, are you, do you like have a mixture of cackler to big stuffers, or is it all just one of the species, or how, what are they? By uh, all of it. Okay. You know, so I got it's just a most mixture. of my, all, yeah, all my sentries are all bigger birds just so they stand out a little bit more. And I only have, I think it's like 14 sentries right now. And that's probably what I'll, you know, stay with. And then the rest are all feeders and my feeders are all set, um, you know, left or right. So they can fit in my trailer uh, a lot easier and you can pick up more space by just having uh, heads not straight ahead. Just, you know, tilt left or right. Uh, it makes them a little bit smaller, but you still have a big body mass. So I got gotcha. you. So when you're, yep. when you're sending there's those in the field, is it all like, it depends on wind, I suppose, but, uh, you got those sentries just kind of like popped in here and there, or do you like have a certain area you put them or I guess what's your, no, I mean, I always tend to just kind of plop them throughout, you know, spread them out. I never want my, you know, my spread to look worry where I have like one group that has just a bunch of heads up. Cause that makes me nervous looking at that. So I'm assuming other geese are going to be nervous. I tend to find myself always putting like one or two out in the middle, like where the kill hole's at and uh, one sentry and one feeder is kind of what I usually do. Um, 
and then throughout the day I might move it or not. But um, but yeah, no, I just uh, spread out through the through the spread. Okay. It just makes me think back to, uh, like I said, when we had all those decoys and we didn't quite know what we were doing and some of the stupid things we did, putting sentries together, feeders together, and and there was, what was it? Is it big learning? Is it was it the uh, Bigfoot one that came with the uh, like fake corn cob with them? No, that was the GHG. GHG, the green headgear. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, we had. Yeah. <laughs> we were so dumb. We had like the kill hole in the center of the kill hole. We had there's like. We had like two packs or whatever, whatever it was. So There's two that look like they're like fighting each other between the two packs, and then we put the yeah. corn cob between them, and those two fighting <laughs> each Like they were gonna notice that and do anything about it. We These birds so are gonna see this. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna see that one corn cob out here in this bean field. And they're <laughs> exactly. fighting over it. And they're hey, laying right here. That's gold, you know. That's gold. I remember because they had like the little loops that went around their the feet yep. around the bases, and you could shove them into that so they would stay with the decoy. I thought that was the coolest thing ever and that it was totally going to work. But, uh, but no, it's kind of funny when you had all this yellow shit out there in a green wheat field and you're like, what, why, why is, why is there a bunch of garbage in your spread? <laughs> yeah. 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 Figure yeah. it out though. Just the, just the things. Yeah. You know, you, you gotta, you can't give up. That's the biggest thing about goose hunting and duck hunting. And, you know, go, you gotta get your ass kicked for a while and figure it out and have fun with it. And, you know, yeah. don't be uh, set back from from not being successful keep learning well most of your uh, average goose hunters i've found has been like a four to one ratio of decent hunts to uh getting skunked or almost skunked so that's that's sure you know yeah well it's hard though like you know scouting is number one right and so mm-hmm. if you don't have three days of scout or two solid days and or a day to scout, you see them at the last light, and then you're like, okay, we'll go there. And you have no idea what they did the next morning. And you know, there's so much uncertainty when when the average person is not able to scout for a day or you know a day and a half or whatever it may take to be successful. And you know, you live by the scout. Mm. Yeah, that's when I was nice when I was living in North Dakota and working in North Dakota, because um, where I was driving to and from, it was just like full of potholes so like every night i was seeing geese in the same field and you can kind of tell where they'd start and then they'd work their way out and then they'd be to the next field so you can kind of plan in and where and like so i'd know like if it's gonna be like their first or third day in the field or whatever and we'd go out to hunt so kind of know where to set up instead of being right on the x we might move out just a little bit based on how far or how long they've been in that field and stuff like that yeah. so that was nice now anymore i'm that guy that's like the night before driving 100 miles per hour from field to field trying to find <laughs> something for dark exactly yeah exactly are you seeing is all is the crop in the north dakota area is that saying kind of 50 50 with wheat and peas or is it predominantly a wheat predominantly a pea right now so i haven't spent too much time in north dakota now i've been i live in montana now so i've just been cruising there. yeah but um i mean it's about this year I've been seeing a lot more peas. There's a lot of guys that put in a lot of pulse because we're kind of coming out of the drought now. Last year we picked it up, and this year is better. So there's a lot of peas okay. this year. Uh, there's a lot of winter wheat, and since we were kind of getting out of the drought, that actually made it. So there's a lot of that that's oh. actually good because a lot the last couple of years they'd plant it, and it wasn't even worth it because it had nothing to uh, start with because we get no snow in the winter, and then it didn't mm-hmm. snow during or rain during the spring. But from – from what I've seen, there's a lot of peas. There's a lot of lentils. I've been seeing a lot of lentils, uh, winter wheat, and then there's just a lot of 
barley and spring wheat. And that's about really what we grow up here. Some garbanzo beans every now and again, chickpeas. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, so when did you guys start taking crop off a couple of weeks ago? Uh, just like this week, like this last okay. week. North Dakotas, do you think, are they on the same? Are yeah, they on they're, the same they're schedule? fairly close. Yeah. They should be about the same. So, I mean, by the time, by the time early goose starts, everything should be almost off. I don't know about almost. When 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 is early goose now? Is it August first or is it fifteenth? Fifteenth. Fifteenth. So yeah, I wouldn't say all off. I'd say winter wheat and peas, if they're on the same schedule as us, should be fairly well, like three quarters. Mm-hmm. I would say, guess depending on how we go with uh, weather wise, probably like half to three quarter, and then they'll probably just be starting on like spring wheat and things like that. So depending on again depending on weather, if we're gonna get all of a sudden a bunch of rain out of nowhere. Or, heck, we might get a bunch of hailstorms and everybody totals everything out. That's that's happened before yeah. too. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen because sure. nobody. I mean, nobody likes to get that check, so have to take that insurance right. check. But. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Kind of throws it up for a DZ, but you know. does it cover much? That check, um, the insurance check. So I've never been on the receiving end of one. I've worked for farmers that have gotten them, but I. It wasn't really my business, but I mean, it's good enough right. that, I mean, obviously you're not going to go living. under because of the check. They, it keeps them alive, but yeah. And then it I really depends you. on, you know, if it's a hundred percent totaled or if it's 80% totaled or 50 sure. or what's going on. And, you know, some of them might say you got to at least make an attempt to harvest it because it wasn't hundred percent totaled. So then you might be getting a little bit from cutting it and then you're also going to get the check. It won't be much from cutting it because it might be, you know let's say 50 bushels an acre crop it should have been and all of a sudden now you're cutting it and you're getting five or two or something so oh hardly covers your fuel for the day sure sure i guess it all varies yeah yeah it really is a yeah it varies so much it's hard to say for sure i know that but i've never heard anybody be excited to get the insurance check (laughs) only a goose hunter man only a goose hunter that will We've been having such bad grasshoppers the last couple of years too. It's that's kind of a oh really? That's kind of a give and take thing. It's good for the pheasants and grouse and all that. We've been having great hatches of those, and then they're living because oh, okay. they got a lot of food from that. But I guess I don't know if geese and ducks eat grasshoppers too. If they find them in the field, I'm sure they do. But yeah, I would imagine. I think more. It's probably more of like a you know obviously not grasshopper in the water, but I think they probably eat more of their bugs when they're hanging out in the water than they do in the fields. But I don't you know full probably. Probably both, especially in the early season. I know that they're real good for like pheasants and whatnot when they're uh, yeah. just, you know, when they're small and they're looking for food. It's real, real good nutrition for them. So sure, sure, yeah, it's definitely around. Does a does the grasshoppers do they do they wreck the the crop? Oh or, yeah, especially when it's young. With, when they? it's young is when the grasshoppers are hatching out and the young ones and whatnot. So everything is tender on the crops and they just wreak havoc. They'll eat up the leaves and everything, obviously before the, everything is uh, potting out or anything like that. So it, Got it, you know, photosynthesis is pretty hard if you're covered in holes. No so. leaf. Yeah. And yeah. Then, okay. I guess I didn't know that. Yeah. This year has been a lot better. Last year I got a picture. I should text it to you from uh, two days of driving around in my service truck. I got a grill guard on my service truck and it's black and you can't even see the black on it cuz it's so covered in dead grasshoppers. And I washed it and oh, it was 2 shit. days worth of driving. So No way. It was it was bad. Gnarly. Yeah. Gnarly. But we're kind of getting to that point in the season where everything's starting to get cut. So when it starts getting cut, they start pushing into the ditches cuz that's the only living uh, you know, crops 
the grass and the mm-hmm. ditches. So that's when you really start mm-hmm. hitting them on the highway. So I guess we'll really gotcha. find out how bad the season was once that starts happening. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> Big talk about grasshoppers. Hey, man, you know, that's hey, it's good to learn. You know, you got to know what your environment's bringing to the table when you're going to go out and hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of land birds, uh, you brought it up for a second. How was your guys' turkey season for everybody? Man, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was wild. It was, we went after it hard. Uh, one of our employees, Wilson, him and I are big turkey goers. Um, I think he shot in his, you know, every hunt that he was a part of either shooting or, or guiding or helping people out. I think he shot about 13. Um, I was on the same number. I was on 13. I shot, uh, three myself and, um, uh, we went back and forth, Idaho, Washington. We didn't go down to Oregon this year. Um, I think it was just, yeah, it was just Washington and Idaho. And we, we wreaked havoc. Uh, it was a good season. It started off, uh, really good. Actually. Um, I think we shot four the first day we shot uh, two for youth. And then a week later goes by. And then that's when our, our normal season opens up and we shot four opening morning for two of our clients. Um, and then the next day I shot one up at a, at a different blind on the same property. So in, in about two weeks, we shot, uh, you know, what is that? Two, six, seven birds off of one property. So, and then throughout there, we chased them. Um, we have, there's a lot of public ground in our area and it provides so much habitat and uh, so much hunting opportunity for people to go out and to go turkey hunting just in Spokane. Uh, further north, you can either go south towards Walla Walla, uh, even go west towards Ellensburg, towards the Cascades. And you can hit anywhere over on eastern Washington and probably find a turkey if it has trees and a little bit of acreage. So uh, we have a lot of opportunity and, and chasing them in the Idaho, you know, panhandle. And um, I'm not sure about southern idaho but uh you know northern idaho is also a predominant turkey spot as well we're just chasing pretty much merriams um sometimes we get you know a lucky hybrid or potentially we'll get a a rio that wanders his way up from uh different locations but uh predominantly merriams is what we chase so your guys merriams like ours where they hit the ground off the roost tree in the morning and they're moving they might cover miles or is your or your guys is more centralized like they do like the easterns do no, I, I'd say they move a lot. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, scouting is kind of everything. So we scout pretty hard on, on how they pitch out and you know which direction they tend to go to. But they'll pitch out, you know, they'll hang out in front of that roost. But, I, you know, they follow for us, at least they follow that the, the shadow line and the tree line. And so they'll stay right on that edge. Uh, so depending where you're set up at, you may be, you know, waiting until that sun kind of gets closer to that tree line if you're hiding the tree line or whatnot. But um uh, I'd say they move pretty good. Uh, windy days, they tuck away into the trees. Rainy days, it kind of goes back and forth. You know, they'll stay in the trees and they'll come out and they'll, you know, stare out in the, the abyss of rain for some reason. And they just sit there and get drenched. I don't, I don't know. I chased some for like an hour and a half and they just sat out in the field. I mean, it was pissing rain. It was raining so hard. And I was like, these things have to come in at some point. And they did not come in. And I finally had to sneak them and come down this creek and crawl. I was so wet at this point that I was just crawling in the creek because it was this nice berm that they couldn't see me. But I was soaking wet, but I was just hands and knees in the creek, um, made it all the way up. And I cut one of them off and called for a second and smoked them. But uh, um, yeah, it was a wet one this spring, it felt like. 
Uh, but yeah, they move. They move quite a bit. Those ones in the middle of the field must have been going through an emo phase or something. Just standing there in the rain, Dude, taking it. Just standing there. Exactly. Yeah, I can see all the eyelash. Everything is just <laughs> starting to peer out and, and tear up. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what their deal was that day. But they did not want to come anywhere near the, tre- near the trees. But I beat them. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you guys are probably... So you're sitting at a tree in the early morning. You guys hearing wolves and stuff out there? Uh, not where I go. You know, guys do when they go way up north, uh, call Bill Tawila, get up in the national forest up there. And we have so much opportunity. My whole thing when I first started turkey hunting, when I moved to Spokane, was how close can I be to home? And I had turkey spots that were 10 minutes from my house. I, I got down to like seven minutes. Um, and so I just, I try to stay pretty central. Um, I'll go north towards Deer Park and, and work my way down to, to south of Spokane. And I mean, I'm, 45 minutes from my house and that's kind of max is where i go so we don't really have many wolves uh in in the spokane county you know i'm sure there's some running around but i don't i don't ever hear them not where i'm at yeah the reason i gotta go pretty far north i'm sure you guys see them well here and there they're it like it's kind of real rarity because we're out in the east side of the state if you get the west side over the mountains closer to you guys that's a thing but uh that's i brought it up because every now and again you'll hear of one or hear one or see one and uh this spring me and a friend went out we were down in the river bottom missouri river breaks and we were sitting against a tree uh well we were out scouting and then there was these turkeys that were out there late and the sun was starting to set we were still within shooting lights so we tried to sneak up on them because they were yet to come into the roost and so they took forever to get up in their roost tree and by the time they did it was still light enough that they could see us so we decided to just sit out and wait it out so we didn't scare them off wait until dark before we snuck out Coyotes start howling in the uh, riverbanks all around us. And it's deep. It's breaks. It's like, it's really rough stuff. And uh, coyotes start howling around us. And there's owls hooting. And then all of a sudden, one deep, lone howl by itself just goes off out there in the breaks. And all the coyotes just shut up. And it goes quiet. And then he howls one more time. And it's quiet. And then the coyotes pick back up. Like, you know, there's a definite pitch change. And deep and loud. And by himself, whatever it was, Yikes. and then didn't hear him again. I, was, I looked at the guy I was with, Ben, and I was like, did, did you hear that too? He's like, yeah. Like, that wasn't a coyote. He's like, no, that wasn't a coyote. I said, well, now what? He said, oh. well, as soon as it's dark, we're out of here. I said, okay. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I've been packing my bags right there and probably saying, I'll see you at the truck, man. <laughs> yeah. I got to get my uh, brother-in-law on here and do one. He's kind of hesitant to do it, but he uh, shot his first wolf this year. He lives on the west side of the state. He finally shot his oh, first really? wolf. And it's a it's a wild story where the whole pack was following him back to their camp and everything. It was it's a crazy story. No way. He tells it like makes a yeah. Yeah. It's uh Yeah, you need to get him on that. That would be interesting. Holy shit. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, we don't ever have to worry about wolves too much over here. It's cougars that we have to kind of watch out for mm. too. I suppose yeah. I'll sneak up on that calling. Yeah, they they followed me a couple times. I've, I've seen their footprints when I back up. You know, we'd scout in the early spring when it was snowing out, and you go back up to your truck and where you started, and, and all of a sudden you just see this big old cat paw right next to your footprint. You're like, man, I'm out of here. I'll see you in the, when the snow's not heavy, and uh, hopefully you're away, far, far away. <laughs> yeah, that would sketch me out. I've, I've heard of guys, like, uh, calling turkeys, and they'll be sneaking up on them. Because they think it's a turkey mm-hmm. there behind a log, as they can see, like the top of your head or whatever. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I mean, they they hunt you, you don't hunt them. Yeah, that makes me nervous. That makes me nervous. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Huh. 
I'd like to go after them with dogs, but I don't. I don't want them hunting me. I want to know that they're running away. That dog thing, that's pretty wild. I know a couple people that do that in the panhandle, and it's pretty interesting to, to watch their videos and see how the dogs in, you know, interact. And, man, that's brutal. Yeah. That is brutal shit. Well, and if I'm going to do it, too, if we're going to tree it, so, you know, we're going to be within 25-yard shot, I'm going to do it with a bow, too. Just to, Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Me and my cousin are working on a plan to get it done, hopefully within the next five years or so, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> can you tree Can you use dogs in Montana? You can. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we got to go. use a guide or, or I don't, I don't quite know after looking that I was going to get a guide no matter what. I don't have dogs and yeah. I don't, I'd, I'd yeah. find someone anyways, but yeah, there's a, I couldn't imagine using my dog. That would be sad. <laughs> yeah. Something I did. Two weekends ago now, I've already said this, but I went out on my first uh, coyote hunt using dogs as uh, decoy dogs. I brought my lab. Yeah. And the guy I was with brought his oh, German short hair, and it was yeah. it was wild. My my lab, I I don't know. He's never like attacked another dog. Never had an issue with another dog. He's always just like cool, chill with everyone. Second, he saw one of those coyotes. He took off after it, and it was like he was ready to kill. It was crazy. It was cool. Holy shit! So what'd you do? Just take your dog out at you know fifty yards, or what happened? No, so you just. Like you just have them sitting next to you and you start calling yeah. the coyotes come in and then, you know, lots of times, I don't know, have you done much coyote hunting? Not at all. So a lot of times the coyotes, they get smart. They're like geese. They hear the same calls all the time and they kind of know the deal. They'll try to get downwind and stuff. And so, and a lot of times they'll hang up at like 300 or 400 yards because most guys aren't going to hit them at that distance. It's when you get within 200 that they yeah. get in trouble. So then you send your dog out after him and the coyote will kind of run away. He wants to fight with the dog, but he's trying to get more coyotes to come in. Cause he knows like my 75 pound lab is going to kick the butt of a 35 pound coyote. So, sure, sure. so then they kind of chase him out and then the coyote gives up and you call your dog back and then the coyote kind of follows him up and you just kind of work him back and forth like that until you get him close enough. And then if, if your shit. dog gets close enough and like we had two of them, like my dog ran down a pup and got him while we were out there. So your lab did. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's the first Holy time I've done. It. I've seen videos of it, and yeah, I just kind of brought him along. He told me to bring him along to see how he does, and he did real good. It was fun. Did you did you video it? No, no, no. Oh. That first one too was to kind of a surprise. Up. We came over, we came over a hill, and my dog Bo he got over top of that hill, and his ears popped up, and he whoo, was gone. And we ran up over the hill, and I thought it was a fox. It was that coyote pup. It was right on his tail. I said I thought it was a fox, and uh chase the guy I was with he said no that looked like a coyote pup to me and then you hear arr, 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 and then coyotes just started howling left and right and barking and going nuts and they just started coming out of the woodworks and so he hurry up and said he had an electric caller here up and set it down and turned on a pup in distress call and coyotes yeah. just started coming in out of nowhere and we had like two or three of them oh, and then our dogs were just like running around kind of going after him kind of coming back to us it's like they just naturally know what to do they're smart enough to not yeah. follow the coyote way out there because they know they're going to be in trouble Ow. So sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Look Unreal. it up. It's really cool. I will. I will. I got to look this shit up. <laughs> and I guess I didn't know this was the thing. Yeah. I guess guys like will bring a smaller dog out too. So it's a little bit, the coyotes will actually come into it because they think they can kick its butt and that's when they shoot them. So, so do they go to like the dog scraps or whatever to the, um, we're going to adopt dog and, <laughs> and grab a small one and go out there for the day. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. No, it made I me can't. think for a second. Yeah, no, no, no. 
Well, I mean, we, we're next to the like res. Rent, rent a dog. Yeah, well. It wouldn't surprise you. <laughs> yeah, we're on the res. We got enough uh, res dogs around if you could get them to stick with you long That's enough. True. Wouldn't really yeah, have to go come, to a pound. Yeah. But. yeah, no shit. Oh, it's funny. No, that's, that's funny. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it's crazy. It was cool. I'm definitely gonna do it again. That and that's the first time I'd actually used suppressor for coyote hunting, and it was so nice because yeah. you shoot and they didn't even they didn't even know that we were shooting. It was crazy. How many did you guys kill? He got one. I grabbed the wrong box of ammo. I had two boxes of ammo for my 22-250, and I couldn't remember yeah. which one I had sighted in for last. So I I just uh-huh. guessed and grabbed the wrong one, and I had one sitting there at a. Uh, it was like 150 yards, just sitting there, perfect, barking at my dog, and I shot, and I shot high and left, totally whiffed it, and then I tried uh-huh. to aim low and right, and I shot, and I shot off to the left that time, and then he wasn't sticking around anymore, but I, got I think while well, Bo Damn. got that pup, he got one, and I think we got one more, but mm-hmm. we should have had more if I could have shot straight. He was pretty much just the one shooting, and then there's a guy that had a fox was getting into his uh chickens so he kind of went out there and tried to take care of that but couldn't get him to come in so he wasted a lot of time out there driving out to that and then not getting anything but if we'd done more stands we could have had quite a few yeah i'm sure there's just tons of ground to go out there and shoot coyotes on oh yeah yeah a lot of open yeah there you go you're gonna have to start most ranchers go ahead what's that oh i was saying most ranchers will let you go out there yeah shoot coyotes yeah um so it kind of depends on there's some guys like go ahead and kill them all and then there's other guys that'd be like yeah i promised a guy he could come out and do it because it's kind of a big deal when hides are worth a lot of money like if we're getting a couple years ago we're getting like 85 dollars for a green coyote which pretty much means you shot the coyote and you uh, hung it up in the shed like didn't skin it nothing or anything you get like 85 dollars for it so that's that's when you're kind of making claims on spots but then like now this time Mm -hmm. you're pretty much just ask if you can uh, go out and shoot them they'll be okay with it or if the prices are low most farmers just say yeah go for it I gotcha. Okay. But I, I was going to say, you got to start making coyote calls now. If you're going to get into it, watch some decoy dogs, get excited about it, make some calls. And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Well, we have, I shot a couple coyotes goose hunting. Um, I'll take my duck call barrel off and I'll just use the insert and I'll bite down on the reed. So it's kind of similar as, as a coyote call, uh, some of them. And so we'll do like the rabbit distress or, or whatever mm-hmm. the, the notes are. But, uh, but yeah, there's there's some guys that we work with, and they have some coyote calls, and so we we kind of like, you know, talked about it, and uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to coyote hunt out here. I just think every it seems like everyone uses uh, uh, the, uh, the speakers or yeah, e callers. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I know it's a market, that's for sure. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll see. We'll every, see. Everybody around here, it seems like, has e callers anymore. I still like doing the uh, mouth calls especially in the wintertime because yeah. I can change things up so fast. Like I can be on the same call and do rabbit in distress and switch to a pup in distress to a fawn or anything sure. just like that without doing anything different without having to worry about batteries dying or being too far away or yeah. trying to find the right sound on the thing and the volume turning down or whatever. So, right. Right. Yeah. I'm so mad. Yeah. It takes a little guy. bit to figure out what notes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, that makes sense to me. I mean, that's what frustrates me about snow keys, honey. It's like, you don't ever know which, which playlist to play that day. And then you finally hit the right juvie jukebox. And then they're like, okay, we love this one. But, uh, I don't know. I feel like with, you know, with a, a call, you're able to use it and, uh, and be a little bit quicker on experimenting to what these yeah. birds or animals are into. Yeah. Now, if I'm, if we're doing raccoons, I like a e-caller because you do a raccoon squaller okay. and they, they come in so fast that it's, if you're doing mouth call, it's hard to throw that down and get a gun up and everything. And they're coming for the sound oh, of the yeah. fight. So, I'll do it then, but like yeah. if we're just going out for an evening coyote hunt, one or two, 
I just like doing mouth calls. Not really a knee caller fan. Gotcha. But gotcha. There's a, obviously it's successful. They wouldn't sell as many as they do if they weren't. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Someone needs them. Someone's got to make them. Yeah. Well, there was kind of a like a two year stretch there where every farmer in the county bought a Fox Pro uh, e collar, and then they'd all go out there with the same jackrabbit and distress call. They'd hear the coyotes would hear that hundred times every month and so it was pretty quick they picked up on it so then us guys that are still doing mouth calls we were still pretty successful and oh, the yeah. e-caller guys were having issues because the coyotes were like no i'm not coming within 100 miles of that i know exactly what's going to happen and then uh, yeah. they found out you can do different noises and birds and rabbits and deer and everything else and then they started swapping things around they started being good again but i gotcha gotcha yeah huh you have nice. to come out west here and or east here. I'll take you coyote hunting. Learn about yeah, the prairies. I got to see this dog thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get. I really liked it. I'm gonna hopefully do a couple more this summer, and uh, really get yeah. really get into. It. I liked it a lot. It kind of brought. I hadn't had adrenaline like I told Chase. I had hadn't had adrenaline like that coyote hunting in a long time. Well, it's something new, right? You know, mm. you don't ever get to experience it. And you're finally learning something new compared to you know, what you've been doing for this whole time. And yeah. you picked up, I don't know, just having, just picking up that, that new, that new hunting, that new strategy, you know, whatever excites you about it. And so I, I, I get it. Yeah. I think it was that. And I was personally nervous. My dog was going to get his ass kicked by I a guy up. But... Super nervous. Yeah, exactly. If I came home, my wife, would, you know, saw Nash, I'll beat the shit or whatnot, or not coming home. I would get my ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he kind of did put it in perspective for me. He said, how heavy is your dog? And I said, well, like 75 pounds right now during hunting season he's around 68 65 somewhere in there he said how big are coyotes i was like well yeah 25 to 45 pounds probably for most of them especially this time of year yeah i mean if you get a really big one they'll be like 65 in the winter time if they're real big and fat but like this time of year they're all mangy and scrawny and yeah they're not not very big so yeah he said that coyote's smarter than that he's not even going to try it and if he did he's going to be close enough to us that's not going to be an issue well, I'm sure the dog's instinct too is going to go back to being a canine. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to survive, so I'm sure they got something going on in that old ticker. Yeah, I got some wild stories about we had some Jack Russell Terriers when I was growing up, and things they would oh, do to coyotes yeah. and raccoons and badgers and everything. They were that's crazy. Yeah, they were they were wild. They were ferocious. They're mean. Yeah. So they're freaking mean. <laughs> I guess. Are you guys in show season still? You guys still doing some shows? It's just just starting right now, man. Okay. Um, that's what that's what Zach and I are doing here late tonight. Uh, we got back from the show season kind of started in, in January. We make our way down to California and um, we go hit up that show. This next year we'll then we'll do Portland and that's in February. Uh, and then we have a show in Texas and that's in May. And then as soon as July hits, it's like one every other weekend. So last weekend was Bozeman when we did the the Ducks Limited, had a calling contest at the Sika, Sika Depot. And so that was a pretty cool new event that they just put on. Um, super happy to see Montana, you know, having a waterfowl event, uh, let alone a calling competition, which is something that, you know, we always strive to just get more people involved into the calling circuit. Um, and then uh, see here, Zach and I fly out to uh, the Delta show in Little Rock, Arkansas on Wednesday. And then Alex, uh, my business partner and uh, a couple of guys from the shop and our buddy Clancy, they're going to be driving to squad fest on Wednesday and they'll arrive there promptly 
you know, Thursday afternoon or something like that. So they have a 32 hour drive ahead of them uh, that they're going to be taking four dudes, one truck, and it's going to be uh, a tight squeeze for them boys. Uh, I'm not jealous on that one. The first time I went down there, we, we all, we flew. Um, the second time they drove, uh, that was last year. And so this would be the third year of squad fest. So they're driving again and, it's just expensive to to fly everyone and you need the hands you know to help out at the booth so how do so you guys have, uh, uh, transport all your calls and stuff like do you just have like one one gun bay? cases gun cases okay uh g- gun cases is about the easiest uh, as long as you know the gun cases fold and they don't slide around and they pretty much you know stick into their their slot but uh but you know you get you get to the damn show and you're moving shit and you're traveling 30 some hours and people are stepping on gun cases and you get there and calls are rubbed on each other and you know you always get a couple damaged ones which kind of sets you back and piss you off because you spend all the time getting shit ready and then all of a sudden you know they went to trash but uh gun cases zach and i we're gonna put them in the call boxes right now and then are you at what's that oh here here sorry we got a uh, technical difficulties um getting ready for shows <laughs> um and so um, uh, Zach and I will have an, uh, we'll put them in the call boxes, in the call bags, and then we're going to put them in the suitcase because it's cheaper to, to actually bring. Uh, you can bring as many suitcases on an airplane now. You just have to pay 40 bucks a suitcase. So instead of shipping, you know, big ass heavy boxes, um, it's a whole lot cheaper to, to bring them with you. So Zach and I will be running through the airport with probably six suitcases and, you know, our backpacks looking like we're moving away from, from Washington. But, um, so that's how we're going to travel for this show. Um, and then the Minnesota game fair is then two weeks after, after this, uh, weekend. And we'll have, uh, we'll have Zach, Alex, and I think one more from the shop. They'll be going over, they'll drive over for the first weekend. Um, and then I'll fly out to Fargo. They'll pick me up on the way for early goose. And then we'll go early goose in it in North Dakota for a couple of days and then drive back to Minnesota, do the show for that weekend. Uh, which is the second to last weekend of August. And then um, Alex and I actually will fly home. Zach will take the the truck and he will go to a show in Wisconsin the last weekend of August. And then Zach will drive home all alone uh, from Wisconsin uh, after the one day show in Oshkosh. You guys are going to be burnt out. Holy shit. Yes. I'm, um, uh, it, I'm glad that Zach's able to be able to work, you know, not here at the shop all the time. He's able to kind of travel and, and go to these shows because it would be a freaking nightmare for, for Alex and I having to, to keep going and be away from here and be away from the house and, you know, from the family. And Zach's able to be a little bit more mobile than we are. Um, so having having the ability of that. And we have guys in Minnesota and Wisconsin that can help out with these shows, which helps out a lot. We're going to be exhausted. Well, if they decide to do a show and – Scobie, Montana, population 1,000. We'll be more than help you, help you out. Hey, man, if everybody shows up, that'd be a great show. We just have to make sure the entire town shows up and yeah. at least, you know, a third of them buying shit. Then we'll be okay. <laughs> well, our closest stoplight is about an hour away, and our closest Walmart's about two hours away. So, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good waterfowl show. Yeah, it'll be it'll be great. It'll be like me, uh, me and you, and maybe like five other guys that aren't farming. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, 
Yeah, right. Yeah, we get the, the 20 people, maybe people after church, and that's about it. Yeah, if you're lucky. Usually after church, they go to the bowling alley for coffee, and then it's to go home. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. It, it's these shows are you got to have you got to have the foot traffic you know even at Sica there wasn't a lot of foot traffic granted it's a first year show um kind of funny how they had it set up you know calling the stage was out in front all the vendors were in the back so i don't know if a lot of people were able to see that there was vendors actually at the show um but you know it's still no matter what super you know happy to have them put something on so we can all you know link up again and and hunt next to each other so it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty good on uh, on that one. I think that's gonna expand a lot in the next you know couple of years if they they keep having it. So yeah, uh, the expos they get tiring, but you just you got to do it. You got to go see the familiar faces. You got to go see friends. You got to keep building those connections. And uh, we're kind of on the lonely island over here in in the West Coast compared to all these other call companies and, and goose hunters and duck hunters that unfortunately we're the ones that do have to travel you know a lot more than eight hours away it's going to be yeah. a, a day's worth and um you know, it takes out you know it takes a lot out on on our crew here but uh we always seem to find a good time and, and have a little bit of a, a party i'd say so there's some positives to it yeah one of these well once my uh son and i guess other kids start getting older that's something i want to try to start doing in the summertime is at least going to one a year or something to be yeah. fun give you something to do in the summertime because well obviously being a Johnny mechanic i'm a bit busy on that time of year sure. but it'd be nice oh, yeah. to get away away from town for like a weekend or a long weekend or whatever mm-hmm. in the summertime to do something like that talk hunting other than well, yeah yeah oh and there's you know a lot of these expos are pretty cool cities or surrounding areas are pretty cool and you know interesting at least and to to uh, you know build a family vacation or whatnot. I think a lot more people are, are starting to, uh, you know, apply that in their life and which is, which is awesome to see it, you know, they'll swing through uh, Missouri at the squad fest for a day or so, and then they'll bounce out and they'll you know, go to the next big city and, or whatever they may go do and head, you know, down little rock as well. And I haven't been to little rock, but I heard it's a pretty cool little city uh, in Arkansas. And then um, game fair, that's just something that's, that's unreal. I think everyone should that's try in to Minnesota, get to game fair. It? Yeah, just uh, northwest of the big city of, of, of the Twin Cities there. And okay. uh, uh, I think the town's Anoka or, or Elk River, one of those. It's in the middle of there. So, But it's a beautiful area. It's a huge dog training facility that uh, this one owner has put together. And I think we're you know above year 50 now as the show goes. And it's almost bigger than the state fair there in Minnesota, I believe. So it is a phenomenal show. The first weekend... Uh, there's no calling contest. Uh, the second weekend is a calling contest. So you kind of have your weekends to pick out on what you, uh, you know, if you want, if you're interested in the calling contest, as far as waterfowl hunter goes, or just interested um, in calling contests, that would be the weekend to go to. But both weekends are always packed. I mean, there's thousands of people. I think the average 30 to 50,000 people that come through this show. And so it's just, you know, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of people walking by, a lot of dogs running around. And uh, it's a, a lot of good times. Yeah, I'd, it's just the issue. It seems like in the summertime, if you start heading east at all, we start running into humidity, and it's hard to convince the family to go stand in oh, hotter, dude. more humid, more humid yeah. air all day on some yeah. of them that are outdoors. That's why you go. Yeah, you got to go find a sweet hotel in like a swim park or something like that, and and, and put that together. But yeah, I know, dude, the mosquitoes are a real deal, and that that uh, humidity is it can be something else. 
because uh, uh, we're we have a dry climate here in Spokane. I grew up kind of in, in the humid in the Seattle area, but uh, this you know dry climate that we have here in the, in the Spokane region is it's nice to deal with compared to going to I think St. Louis this weekend is going to be like ninety nine and uh, you know feels like one fifteen and they're all on pavement. Yeah. Dear God, that's going to be that's gonna, that's dangerous. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Especially yeah, start putting a yeah. couple of beers into you. Oh my God! Yeah, you quit drinking water and you just start slamming because you if you go to buy the PC booth, there's gonna be beer there. You're always gonna have the ability of, you know, buying a call and drinking a beer with one of us there. Or if you just need to have a break from the family, you can sneak in the back and have a beer at our at our booth. So I didn't say that, but um, um, you know, it, it is. I, luckily for us at Delta, we're gonna be inside and and in the AC. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, I'm going to miss everyone going to squad fest. There's a lot of good friends that go there. And, uh, just to see the guys at, at, uh, dive bomb is always, always nice to see those boys, but, uh, I'm going to venture for the South and get into more of the humid climate. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to go to squad fest. That's the one that sounds like it's real cool. It seems like everybody that goes there says that the people that go there are a lot more like chill. It's not so uptight, I guess. I would. I really mm-hmm. don't know firsthand. It's just kind of what I picked up from people that go travel around to them, like go to game fair and everything. Where they said some of them are more business like, and like that one's like just like a good time, like a good party weekend. It's definitely a party weekend, that's for sure. Um, it's uh, it you know it's everyone's like minded. It's all waterfowlers. Uh, I'm not sure what you know all the vendors that are there this year, but you go to game fair and you have people that are selling real estate, to selling knives, to selling duck calls, to selling big game hunts. So it's kind of you know, a huge market, but, um, or widespread. Uh, so you, you get some people that are really sick of hearing the duck calls or goose calls and, and dealing with that nature of a person. And, uh, unfortunately we're kind of always the bottom of the bucket. It feels like, it feels like when it comes to being in that type of market and people look at us as the, the loud, noisy ones. And, uh, and so, yeah, some people, you know, they get a little intense about our noise, uh, as you go to squad fest and, it's pretty much call makers, decoy. Uh, you know, they're going to have decoys, obviously, from from everyone at Dive Bomb and uh, all their product. But then uh, I, it's a lot of just call makers. So everyone's there to do the same thing. Hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely a little bit more low key as as far as that goes. It, it, it's a good time. It's definitely a, a good show. And, you know, bless that Cody and Asher are able to put something like that together because it is a it, it's part of the, the new circuit for for us people in the industry and selling product. Was that the one that Nick J went to last time? Last year with just a hammock and just hung out and tuned calls all day, or was he at a different uh, one? He I did think that. I no, he did that in Wisconsin that we found out oh. that he was falling asleep at the booth or something like that. And I was like, "What the hell are you doing, Nick?" And he, I, I think it was one of those comments that Nick didn't mean to say in front of of me and, and Alex um, as he's running the booth. And I don't think anybody was running the booth while he was chilling in the hammock. So I'm pretty sure that was the Wisconsin one. He did actually pull the hammock out at Game Fair for a day because he runs a lot of uh, um, he runs a lot of the calling contest, so it's pretty stressful for him and Lucas yep. there. Uh, so he kind of chills out, finds a finds a shady spot, and down where our booth used to be. Um, hopefully, it's still there uh, when we go there this year. But there's there's a lake, so it's pretty comfortable just chilling chilling in a hammock. Yeah. When so you said that uh, you know it's all like call makers and stuff at. Uh, squad fest so there's a lot of people blowing calls all day when uh contests are going on or when they have their contests going on is it kind of just known that don't blow a call at a booth or something or 
How does that work? No, the the stage the stage is far enough away where it doesn't uh, interfere with with the call making or the call callers and then the the call booths. So it they do pretty good at at separating that. Okay, that's good then. Yeah. that'd be kind of it'd be pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they kind of did that at the, the the DOX in Texas where they were almost expecting us to quit calling when the callers came up on stage and and I you can't. When you, when you only have a certain amount of people that are coming to your booth, you can't tell them to not try the product out because I'll just I'll lose that customer and they won't come back. And when you have someone that wants to buy it, they want to buy it now and you can't say no. Yeah. So so they kind of figured that one out. But no, Squadfest does a pretty good job at separating that. Good. Good. All right. Mm-hmm. I did just get the text saying, hurry up. It's bedtime. So. Before yeah, we close out, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your what are you guys' plans for uh, the upcoming waterfowl season? You guys got anything big planned? Any trips or anything? Yeah, so we're uh, Zach and I are heading down to Texas for a dove hunt. Going to link up with some people that uh, we're working with this winter. Um, we're working with Boss and uh, the guys over at Stanfield, and we're kind of doing jumping on a little bit of their uh, their filming as uh, as like. Not the Boss TV, I don't believe, but we're going to be doing some stuff with them. Uh, so Boss is going to be down there. We're going to hunt with them for Dub Hunt and some of the other guide, uh, guide services that are hosting it. Um, and then we're going to go back down to Texas and hunt with uh, Big Honker guys, the Stanfield Outfitters. Uh, then we're going to hunt with Long Neck, Crooked Wing, and Final Descent. And then we're going to host a party with our boys at uh, Fowler Hyde and host like a just like a social event, you know, there's going to be food and drinks. And so we'll do that in Lubbock, Texas, uh, on our last night before we hit the high trail back home and just, to, just to see everybody. So I'm excited for that little get together. Um, so if anybody's in the Lubbock area and that's listening to this, we'll be around, uh, I think it's like November 18th is what the party's going to be set for. So, um, kind of, we're just super excited for that one. I got, we have a lot of good friends and associates and in, in the Texas area. So, excited to get back down there and see all these people and then um you know do some local hunts around here and then probably travel over to the west side of washington and really expose what washington has to provide us as far as waterfowl hunting and try to do like a sea duck do a cackler hunt and you know probably a widgeon can tell shoot and um and get after them over there and then maybe make a trip over to montana and see if we can't bang them up if, uh, cause I think this is last year that we're able just to come over the border and, and come shoot because I think it's going to a draw system next year for out of staters. So are we, I, I, gonna, I didn't even know. Yeah. That. Yeah. That was, I, yeah, I talked to, uh, we read that about a month ago. So I got to look at, I got to double check to see if that actually got passed, but I'm pretty sure it did. So yeah, I'll look into it. I didn't even hear yeah. about it. So of course, yeah, it's a big deal for us people that aren't in Montana. Cause you know, it is one of the destination places to attend, but, and hearing that kind of hits us hard and you know so we're gonna we're gonna try to take advantage this year and head over at least once and, and try to pound them out well that's kind of what so. happened to me in south dakota because my family's from there so we would just visit you know oh, yeah. like during thanksgiving here and there so i could just go in and grab a my license for the year and go shoot ducks for an evening with my grandpa or something now i'd, I'd have mm-hmm. to draw at the start of year and even know if i could so that kind of kind of put a damper on things but yeah How yeah long? that's how far east do you oh, guys go to Montana? Uh, we generally go to like Bozeman and Billings, just right through there. If Livingston is open, then we try to pass that, keep on going because it's such a sketch, <laughs> sketchy drive for us. Because I think we we travel four four uh, mountain passes just to get over to yep. Billings, 
it's it's just it's a nightmare traveling to montana the hunting's so fun but it is a freaking nightmare and you really gotta watch your weather and you know see which pass may close because there's so many obstacles that we have to take just to get over to that section and um yeah you could just say that you don't want to leave the hipster area because you'd get out of your people but <laughs> got a little bit of it in me man you know i got a little bit i always got to express that i am from the pnw you know it, it's part of us i have a fucking van in the back for god's sakes <laughs> is it full of ipas in the trunk not quite no i dude i hate good beer man i'm i'm all about my keystone light that is my I just got the expensive right version I, of it yeah exactly yeah you got the dad version of that one i'm still learning to become one of those mine's mine's only one years old oh. so so no i just my business partner alex he likes he likes drinking ipas and that kind of shit i just can't handle it. i can't i can't do them either i can do like a porter is about as heavy as i can go Oh yeah, mud. No, yeah, can't no. do Those it. IPAs are. Just I like way my, too my much coffee dark, but my beer light. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I like to drink more than two and not feel like I'm drunk. Well, <laughs> that's not my thing. Is I get so full off of them. Like if I have like a porter or something like that, I have like two yeah. or three. And you just feel like you're just full and disgusting. But you just threw down a yeah Big Mac and you're still drinking it. Yeah. Oh, I hear you, man. That's just too much flavor is what I say. So I stick to the light stuff. Yeah. All right. Well. I'm sure that people already know, but if they uh, want to get a call or hear more from you, how would they go about that? Yeah, you can hit us uh, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all Pacific Calls. Uh, website, SpecificCustomCalls.com. Uh, my Instagram, and I think it's Austin 23 if you ever want to reach out to me about tuning your call or, or buying a call or however I may help. But, uh, yeah, just Pacific Custom Calls and and that's it for Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks a pile for uh, coming on, spending an evening with us. Yeah. Really appreciate yeah, it. I appreciate it. I want to go back to the sweat box and go uh, get my hands dirty and install some buff compounds. So I appreciate it. Heck yeah. All right. Well, you have a good night. We'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. All right. Bye.